0: because you are in the hoodwood. I'm the Black Bandit, KJ Green, welcoming you to another edition of Sports from the Hoodwood for September 22nd, 2022. Coming up this week, the NFL QB standard, or double standard, is the Phoenix Suns' Robert Sarver getting a free pass from the NBA. The Major League Home Run record does it really mean anything. The NFL Week 3 picks, good not 5 fat dab and dead's slap, USA Basketball's top dog status is in trouble. i we'll had a lot more. Buck your seatbelt, strap yourself in. Put your crash helmet on. Sports from Hoodwood is coming right at you. Let's go. You're tuned in to Sports from the Hoodwood, the internet's foremost location for the most honest, unfiltered commentary and insight on the world of sports now, once again, here's Hoodwood's hometown hero, K.J. Green. Greetings from the Hoodwood, where, contrary to popular belief, I, not Travis, Croson, was wearing this podcast long before beam his, and his brother was doing it, and I'm the one that made it cool. I'm your man, K.J. Green. Welcome you back to Sports from the Hoodwood, and let's just get right into it. Last week... NFL, another crazy weekend. You had comebacks, you had crazy finishes, you had the Bengals offensive line still looking like a colander or a a sieve or something that's leaky really bad. But you had great quarterback play on in almost every game. You had Cooper Rush, Feeling in again for Dak Prescott, playing an absolutely wonderful game, driving the pokes down for a game-winning field goal. You had Josh Allen absolutely eviscerating the Titans on Monday night. You had uh, Jalen Hurts of the Eagles playing in a phenomenal game against my Vikings. You had that absolutely insane game in Baltimore Ravens jump out to a big lead. Lamar Jackson just playing out of his mind. But to attack by a going, hold up a sec cuz, I got last licks, usually gets uh, a, a free shot. So let me show you something. He throws four scores in the fourth quarter. Are you crazy? This makes no sense. And of course, the brilliance of Patrick Mahomes again Losing effort by by Justin Herbert and and a great effort. But the question I'm posing here after all the great play we had, is there a double standard for quarterbacks in the NFL? And I have said this for the longest time that I think there is. I grew up in an era where you didn't even see quarterbacks of color. When Doug Williams threw in that absolutely brilliant game in the Super Bowl, which was 30 some odd years ago against the Broncos, through for four scores and a 35-point blitz by the by the by Washington to beat Denver and I remember the super the, the uh, Sports Illustrated covered wow because it mean it was a brilliant performance but because it was a black quarterback no one had seen that before now quarterbacks of color are no longer a quote unquote rarity you have black quarterbacks who are superstars and legends. Warren Moon, Randall Cunningham. Uh, You can go, the list can go on and on of great quarterbacks of color. You also have bust quarterbacks. Akili Smith, Jamarcus Russell. I can go on and on. The point I'm trying to make here though is, you have quarterbacks like say to attack a Iloa. Oh, he needs to improve his game. He needs to improve his game. Even though he uh, put together a yeoman like workman performance in the first week win against New England, and everybody's still saying, well, he still needs to improve. Well, then he throws six touchdown passes against Baltimore, and everybody wants to say, wow, Baltimore's defense is a, a shell of itself. He threw for six touchdown passes, people. Six. He's in the company now with legendary Dolphins quarterbacks Dan Marino and Bob Griese. Then you have Lamar Jackson who became the first quarterback in NFL history to throw and run for 75-yard touchdowns in the same game. Wrap your head around that, people. Lamar Jackson is going to get paid Whether they get put it, whether Ravens put him on a franchise tag, or he goes out in free agency. Regardless of which, Lamar Jackson is putting on a show. Patrick Mahomes, brilliant as ever, playing a great game against the Chargers. He didn't have a five touchdown performance like he did against the Cards, but he still had a great performance. Speaking of the Cards, Kyler Murray with an absolutely mind bending performance to rally the cars from 20 down in Vegas against the Raiders. But the question still remains, does the quarterback of color still have to perform to a higher standard than his white counterparts? And I'm taking nothing away from brilliant efforts by Josh Allen, Cooper Rush, uh, the, the, the ageless Tom Brady, Great quarterbacks have, you know, have set good standards. But why is the media still berating, belittling, discounting the efforts of good, great quarterbacks of color? Why does the media continue to discount Lamar Jackson? Oh, he's a running back. Lamar Jackson played brilliant in a losing effort. Tua Tagovailoa played brilliant. Four touchdowns in the fourth quarter and six overall. Jalen Hurts was magnificent for the Eagles against the Vikings on Monday night. Why is there a double standard? Why do we as fans continue to want to measure quarterbacks of color on a different scale. I understand wanting to hold quarterbacks to a high standard because that is the leader of the team. That said, having quarterbacks of color done enough over a longer period of time to have proven their worth in the NFL, question that that needs to be answered and soon. Now let's switch gears and talk about basketball. In recent days, uh, Phoenix Suns uh, majority owner Robert Sarver has been suspended by the NBA for a year and fined $10 million in the wake of a year-long investigation in regards to misogyny and in, uh, racially insensitive comments that he has made as owner in office uh, settings. Now, Robert Sarver has just recently, as reported by ESPN, announced that he will be seeking buyers for the Suns and the Phoenix Mercury, the WNBA team that he is also majority owner of. Now, Sarver Uh, bought the team in 2004 for about $400 million. He stands to make probably about $900 million in the sale of this team. The team is reported to be worth about, the both teams are totally uh, worth about $1.8 billion. So even if Sarver cashes out, He's gonna make a lot of money. And I have a small problem with that because it seems that this old boys club, if you will, can say what they want, do what they want. A 10 million dollar fine is a slap on the wrist to somebody who is worth billions of dollars. 10 million dollar fine is like a dollar to you and me. You get fined, they're gonna pay the money, whatever. Though it's the public backlash that is creating so much heat on Robert Sarver that he is figuring out, you know what, I think it's best if I just get out the game. So he puts the team up for sale. And he's going to make a lot of fun. Just like Donald Sterling did when he was forced to sell the LA Clippers. He sold them to Steve Ballmer at a considerably high return on what he paid for it. But given that Donald Sterling bought the then San Diego Clippers for about $10 million in the early 80s, him making a return on a a 30, 40-year investment of over a billion dollars may seem an easy way for him to get out. But Donald Sterling was an idiot. He was an asshole. He was somebody that the NBA had wanted to get rid of for a long, long time. Robert Sarver's is a bit of a different cat other than the quote unquote racist terms that he was using, liberally dropping the N word here and there, using uh, uh, bullying tactics in the office, misogynistic phrases and terminology and attitudes and practices, which made for a hostile work environment in Phoenix. Many people think that Robert Sarver was going to fly under the radar, pay a ten million dollar fine, sit quietly for a year. You know, maybe be in uh, uh they changed the name of the Phoenix Suns arena so so many damn times. I don't remember what it is. I think it's Talking Stick Arena now. I don't know, but let's say it's the Phoenix Arena. He would be able to probably sit up in the Phoenix Arena in a quiet private booth and watch the Suns as a fan for a year. And after a year go on about his business, the public pressure that was brought to bear, not only by a couple, a few other owners, but a lot of the players and fans have basically turned up the heat so much on Adam Silver that Robert Sarver, more or less, has been brought to bear and the public pressure is forcing him to sell the team. I think he should sell the team for exactly what he sold it for, what he bought it for where he makes no money from selling the team. Oh yeah, he had the team almost 20 years. And the value of a franchise, especially an NBA franchise, has grown exponentially in the years since he has taken over the team. But does that mean he should be able to profit from that? I think not. I think Sarvis should be made to sell the team at cost. Walks away with $400 million in his pocket And rides off in the sunset Don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out See ya Now let's shift gears and talk about baseball shall we And last week I chronicled the MVP chase Between Shohei Ohtani and Aaron Judge And on these very airwaves I said that I thought Aaron Judge should win the MVP Aaron Judge is making me look like a prophet Yes, because he has hit his 60th home run. He did that Tuesday night off of Will Crow of the Pittsburgh Pirates. Ironically, Crow being a great great uh, uh, nephew of Red Ruffing, who was a teammate of Babe Ruth. Now, Aaron Judge now joins some very, very select company, joining Babe Ruth, Roger Maris, Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, and Barry Bonds as the only baseball players to have hit 60 or more home runs in a season. Now, Judge is looking, staring right down the barrel of a team and AL record 61 hit by Roger Maris. Now, I remember the home run chase of uh, Mark McGuire in 1998. Him and Sammy Sosa captivated the nation. The nation was kinda, eh, about Barry Bonds when he went after the record just three years later, hitting 73. But McGuire, Bonds, and Sosa have all had to play under that cloud of performance enhancing drugs. Did they, didn't they, whatever. Sammy Sosa won't talk about it. Mark McGuire has admitted to it but it's been kind of shushed, and Barry Bonds has more or less been a baseball pariah since he left the game in 2007. That said, Babe Ruth has always been the gold standard of home runs. Roger Maris took way too much crap for daring to get close to 60 home runs, eventually hitting 61. So much so that Ford Frick decided that, oh, that that that's going to be an asterisk next to Roger Maris' name because he had a benefit of more games. An unfair um, mulligan around Roger Maris' neck. Something that I thought that Bud Selig, which I'm not a big Bud Selig fan, but I at least gave him credit for taking that asterisk away from the 61 home runs and saying that 61 home runs was the record that Mark McGuire needed to go after, no matter how many games, and I thought that was fair. Now, Aaron Judge is right at 60. He is right now the Triple Crown leader, leading the, the American League in batting average, and of course, home runs in RBI. I still say, if he finishes with the Triple Crown, he wins the MVP, period. The Yankees are on their way to the playoffs, and he has been a catalyst for that team. But I discussed that last week. But does a home run record really mean anything now? The the the, the all or nothing way baseball has been played the last few years, either the home run, chick's dig the long ball, or the walk back to, your, to the dugout with your head, chin to chest, strikeout. I hate the way that the game has become with it all or nothing. I love seeing home runs. Of course I do. I'd be dumb to say I don't. But I missed the strategy of the game. The hit and run, the moving station to station, the whole three run the, the either the pitching defense and three run homer that has been that was espoused by the late Earl Weaver, I think has corrupted the game. Does the home run record mean anything? There is a sort of a romanticism about the home run record. I think Aaron Judge, given there's two, three weeks left in the season should hit his 61st and 62nd home run to become the AL single season home run champion. And I think he should be properly lauded for it. Aaron Judge is a good kid. He's played the game the right way. He's humble. When he hit his 60th home run, his teammates wanted him to take a curtain call. He didn't want to do it because his team was losing. They ended up winning that game because Giancarlo Stanton hit a grand slam home run later in that inning. But, Aaron Judge should get all the accolades, all the slaps on the back, all the dap and love for hitting what will be a single-season American League home run record. And that, without any kind of question of pain, should Everybody can be celebrated. Everybody's going to going baseball for I give him to But that should go to Aaron judge premier destination for no-nonsense commentary, thorough analysis, and logical insight on the world of sports. Now here's the man that Wikipedia and Google call for sports fact checks, your host, K.J. Green. You are back in the My name is K.J. Green, and let's get into the NFL Week 3 picks. To be perfectly honest, last week I got a rotten birthday present in the form of my picks. I was lucky. Picking against my heart got me a break even week. I'm resolving to do much better, so I present for your review, approval, and perusal this week's picks. The odds are courtesy of ESPN, R&R for entertainment and comparison purposes only, which basically means if you bet the lines and lose, that's on you because I'm broke as a joke and I have no money to lend you to give to your bookies. Fast Facts will be presented at the bottom of the screen. Let's get started with Thursday night game, which is the 1-1 Steelers taking on the 1-1 Browns at First Energy Stadium in Cleveland. eight fifteen kickoff on Amazon Prime Video. The Browns are four and a half point favorites. Last week, the Steelers lost to the Patriots 17-14, while the Browns lost to the Jets 31-30. The Steelers lost a slugfest in their home opener with the Pats and now have a short week to deal with their divisional rivals. The Browns were is close to being considered a reliable pick. But then they remembered who they were, that they're the Browns, and they had an epic fourth-quarter collapse against the Jets. I really don't trust either team, to be honest. But the Steelers' defense is more equipped for a down-the-trenches type of game than the Browns are. I don't think the Browns are ready to play that type of game and win even at home on a short week. The pick here is Pittsburgh move to the Sunday games. It's the Fox doubleheader week. Check your local listings for the games in your area. You can also consult 506 Sports. They have a great map of the coverage of the games that you can consult for the early and late games. Let's start with the 0-1-1 Texans taking on the 1-1 Bears. So that game is going to be at Soldier Field in Chicago, 1 p.m. kickoff on CBS. The Bears are two and a half point favorites. Last week, Texans lost to the Broncos 13 9 while the Bears lost to the Packers 27 10. The Bears looked like, well, the Bears, and getting a beat down in Green Bay last Sunday night, but the Texans looked even more hapless and muddling through an ugly affair in Denver. The Bears' offense just is not that good. Besides my guy David Montgomery, fellow Mount of the Owl. The Bears really don't have reliable offense options on offense. And as much as I want to believe in Justin Fields, his offensive play calling that has been handed to him is inept. And he has played way too inconsistent to boot. That said, I do think that the Bears can play better than the Texans, who are even more clueless offensively. The pick here is Chicago. Next up on the docket, we have the 0-2 Raiders at the 0-2 Titans, game being played at Nissan Stadium in Nashville, 1 p.m. kickoff. This game is on Fox, not CBS, as you might think being AFC teams. The Raiders are two-point favorites. Last week, the Raiders lost to the Cardinals 29-23 in overtime, while the Titans lost to the Bills 41-7. The fact that both of these teams are winless are a bit of a surprise. The Raiders weren't expected to beat the Chargers but then they took a nasty pratfall and an embarrassing home collapse against the Cards. Meanwhile, the Titans took an unexpected upset against the Giants and then got poleaxed in Buffalo. This game reeks of desperation for both teams to be honest. Realistically, the Titans have fallen off pretty badly. Everybody knows that Derrick Henry is the prime focus of the Titans offense. And Ryan Tannehill, I'm sorry, he's just not a quality quarterback in my eyes, and he's proving it in spades. I'd never like pick, picking Western teams heading east for early games. I've long hated doing that because a team playing on the West Coast, going east, that's a 10 that's o'clock a a.m. body check for them. The Titans are coming off a short week, and that might mitigate that. Derek Carr is way overdue for a breakout game this season, and I think he gets it here. The pick is Las Vegas. Next up on the docket, we have the 1-1 Lions taking on the 1-1 Vikings at U.S. Bank Stadium in Minneapolis, 1 p.m. kickoff. That game, I haven't listed on CBS, but I think that, is that right? Yeah, no, it's on Fox. I'm sorry, I haven't listed it as CBS, but it's 1 p.m. kickoff on Fox. I'm glad I have my handy-dandy phone to correct that. Vikings are six-point favorites. Last week, the Lions defeated the Commanders 36-27 while the Vikings lost to the Eagles 24-7. The Lions looked impressive in piling up points against the Commanders, but the curve gets a lot steeper facing an annoyed Vikings team that was embarrassed on Monday night in Philly. I'm not sold on Jared Goff in Detroit, even though he is slinging the rock impressively. The problem is that the Lions' defense gives up points and yards almost as quickly as they score them. I think the Vikes bounce back strong at home. The pick is Minnesota. Next up, we have the 2 0 Chiefs taking on the 0-1-1 Colts. The game's going to be at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis. 1 p.m. kickoff. On CBS, the Chiefs are five and a half point favorites. Last week, the Chiefs defeated the Chargers 27 24, 27-24, while the Colts lost to the Jaguars 24 to nothing. A couple of years ago, this would have been a marquee event. Chiefs come in looking strong, offense looking really nice. The Colts, on the other hand, are wasting the brilliance of Jonathan Taylor. Their offense is stagnant and their defense is putrid. That is not the combination that you need facing a rested Patrick Mahomes who played last Thursday. This game might have to have a boxing referee somewhere in the wings on hand to step in to stop the Chiefs from wailing on the Colts like a contender, thumping an overmatched palooka. The pick here is Kansas City, and that's the lock of the week. Next up, we have the 2-0 Bills taking on the 2-0 Dolphins at Hard Rock Stadium in Miami Gardens, Florida, 1 p.m. kickoff on CBS. The Bills are six-point favorites. Last week, the Bills defeated the Titans 41-7, while the Dolphins defeated the Ravens 42-38. Admit it. Come on, I know you want to. You wrote off the Dolphins when they fell behind 35-14. Don't I? don't I? You know you did, it, cause I did too. After that long run by Lamar Jackson, I'm like, the, the Dolphins are done. Pack it up, they're done. The funny thing is the Dolphins just decided that they weren't going to quit. They wrote an incredible fourth quarter comeback from two attacking lower to storm back and steal the win. They face a red hot division rival coming off of a frightening evisceration of the Titans on Monday night. This is a fascinating matchup of a pair of young ThunderCat quarterbacks with redunculous receivers and quality underrated defenses. This could be a repeat of the thrilling divisional round shootout that the Bills came out on the short end of. but I think this time the Bills can put up just enough of the numbers that Tua and his crew cannot rally back from. The pick here is Buffalo. Next up on the docket, we have the 1-1 one one Ravens taking on the 1-1 one one Patriots. Game's going to be at Gillette Stadium in Foxborough, 1 p.m. kickoff. I'll ah, Make sure I'm looking at that right. Yes, it is on Fox. Ravens are three-point favorites. Last week, the Ravens lost to the Dolphins 42-38, while the Patriots lost to the Steelers seven, I'm pardoned, they defeated the Steelers 17-14. I got that backward. The Ravens are still kind of in a daze after giving up 28 fourth quarter points in a frightening collapse at home against the Dolphins. Now they face the Pats team that grinded out a surprising win in Pittsburgh. I don't trust either team, especially their secondaries, but I do trust Lamar Jackson and his ability to put up points. Something that I don't think that Matt Jones and the Pats are able to do. Here's Baltimore. Let's take time out. Come back with the balance of the 1 p.m. games and the late games, and the Monday Night Games, Sports on the Loop, continues after this. You are tuned in to Sports from the Hoodwood, the Internet's foremost location for opinion, analysis, and insight on the world of sports. Here now is the man banned from sports trivia contests in 38 states and 4 Canadian provinces, and not to mention Guam. Your host, KJ Green. to Bengals at the 1-1 Jets game being played at MetLife Stadium in East Rutherford, New York 1 p.m. kickoff on CBS the Bengals are five-point favorites last week the Bengals lost to the Cowboys 20-17 while the Jets defeated the Browns 31-30 now the Bengals have been hard luck losers in their first two games and they face a Jets team that rallied from 13 down and stunned the Browns remember last year one of the Bengals losses was in Gotham against a Jets team that they should have beaten Joe Flacco has his moments, but I can't see him doing the what he did against the Browns a second week in a row. And frankly, the Bengals had better do a much improved job at protecting their baby franchise quarterback, lest they get that poor boy killed. I think the Bengals are in desperate need for a win, and they get it in rather ugly fashion. The The pick here is Cincinnati. Next on the docket, we have the 2-0 Eagles at the 1-1 Commanders, game being played at FedEx Field in Landover, Maryland. 1 p.m. kickoff on Fox, the Eagles are six and a half point favorites. Last week, the Eagles defeated the Vikings 24-7, while the Commanders lost to the Lions 36-27. The Eagles looked rather crisp in an efficient dismantling of the Vikes on Monday. They head to the nation's capital to take on a puzzling Commanders squad. The offense is decent, to be sure. Carson Wentz is throwing for scores at a busy pace, but the defense is suspect, to be kind. Facing the Eagles with their dangerous offense seems like a recipe for a shootout. There's one problem though. The Eagles defense is good enough to slow down Carson Wentz. That will be the difference. The pick here is Philadelphia. Next on the docket is the 1-1 Saints at 0-2 Panthers, game being played at the Bank of America Stadium. In Charlotte, 1 p.m. kickoff on Fox, the Saints are three-point favorites. Last week the Bucks defeated the Saints. I should say that back where the Saints lost to the Bucks 20-10, while the Panthers lost to the Giants 19-16. There is something about the Saints that is just infuriating. They should be elite, to be sure, but play like a team that's still trying to figure it all out. The Panthers are just as bad, but their cohesiveness is even worse. Now, the Saints' defense will give the Panthers all sorts of problems, and I think their offense, though struggling to find answers, won't find enough uh, to, uh, this week to get a win. The pick here, though it sounds a bit confusing the way I played it out, is New Orleans. Next on the docket, turning to the late games, we have the 1-1 one one Jaguars taking on the 1-1 one one Chargers. Game being played at SoFi Stadium in Englewood, California. four o five kickoff on CBS. The Chargers are seven-point favorites. Last week, the Jaguars defeated the Colts 24-0, while the Chargers lost to the Chiefs 27-24. The Jags handed out a stunning shutout and have gained confidence in their overall ability. Meanwhile, the Chargers were a poor team management decision from beating the Chiefs. Brandon Staley doesn't try to force a play toward a tired Gerald Everett. Justin Herbert doesn't throw a back-breaking pick six, and the Chargers not the Chiefs, are likely 2-0. I think the Chargers bounce back strong with a convincing win. The pick here is Los Angeles, the Chargers. Next on the docket, we have 0-2 Falcons at 1-1 Seahawks, game being played at Lumenfield in Seattle. twenty five kickoff on Fox, the Seahawks are two-point favorites. Last week, the Seahawks lost to the 49ers 27-7, while the Falcons lost to the Rams 31-27. I'll keep this brief. After looking solid in their opener, the Seahawks look just as inept in losing to the Niners. Now, they host a Falcon squad that can put up points, but can't close out games. Smell an upset here, but I can't go against the Seahawks at home. The pick here is Seattle. Next on the docket, it's probably one of the marquee games of the week. The 1-1 Packers at the 2-0 Bucks. Game being played at Raymond James Stadium in Tampa. 425 kickoff on Fox. The Bucks are favored by a single point. Last week, the Packers defeated the Bears 27-10, while the Buccaneers defeated the Saints 20-10. The late heavyweight game is also in Florida. The Packers bounced back from an opening day loss with the Bears while the Bucks grinded to a win in the big easy. That win came at a cost, though, as the Bucks will be without Mike Evans. Who suspended a game after a stupid fight with Marshawn Lattimore, who just seems to be living re- rent-free in that poor boy's head. That may be a costly omission, as the Bucks still need a dependable receiver, and you're not going to get a dependable receiver in, in Julio Jones. No diss to Julio Jones, but he's a little on the aged side, and he couldn't he doesn't have the makings of a number one receiver anymore. Aaron Rodgers is still needing a dependable receiver himself. But he does have Aaron Jones to take the pressure off in the running game, and that will carry the day in a narrow win. The pick here is Green Bay. Moving on to the Sunday night game, we have the 1-1 49ers at the 1-1 Broncos. Game being played at M. Powerfield at mile high in Denver. 8-20 kickoff on NBC. The Niners are one-and-a-half point favorites. Last week, the 49ers defeated the Seahawks 27-7. the Broncos defeated the Titans 13-9. It's now Jimmy G's team for the foreseeable future. Trey Lance out with a broken ankle, but believe it or not, I think the Niners are a better team under Jimmy G's stewardship. The edge of the mountains face Broncos' team struggling to get its offense in gear, as noted by the Fast Fact, and they take way, way, way too many penalties. 25 in two games is unacceptable. And I think the Niners have the tools and the talent to go into Denver and steal a win. Pick here San Francisco, upset of the week. Finally, the Monday game is the 1-1 Cowboys against the 2-0 Giants. Game being played at MetLife Stadium in East Rutherford, New Jersey. A 15 kickoff on ABC and ESPN. The Giants are one-point favorites. Last week, the Cowboys defeated the Bengals 20-17, to while the Giants defeated the Panthers 19-16. to Now, the Polk's got a plethora of sacks against the Bengals, but nearly blew the game. Meanwhile, the G-Men are quietly 2-0 with a pair of tight wins. I can't put my faith in either team, to be honest. Cooper Rush, is he really going to have another solid game? Or is this an aberration, his once-a-year-blow-the-lid-off-of-the-type uh, type of game? Are the g man really solid with a rugged defense and a portent of, is that a portion of good fortune or is that just an illusion? I'm gonna gamble that Micah Parsons continues to be the defensive beast. No, he is not the second coming of, of Lawrence Taylor. Don't even start that mess. Good player, but I'm not calling him Lawrence Taylor by any shot. He's been a defensive beast and I think he makes the difference. I know no matter what team I pick, I'm probably going to be wrong and be made a monkey out of. So I'm gonna flip a coin and I'm going to pick down. So we last week I was eight and eight. The lock and upset were correct. Both of them, yay me. Overall, 17 17-14-1. 1-1 locks, 2-0 in the upsets. So let's take another timeout. Come back with Hoodwood High 5. Back and Head Slap. And the final word for the Wood Sports with heads down the stretch after this. Location for no-nonsense commentary, insight, and opinions on the world of sports. Here now, live in living color, flat by popular demand. Your host, KJ Green. and get it Let's hit the song, hit the five, hit slap, and the final word from the Wood. I love that picture behind me. That's me and Princess Katie when she got married two years ago. But anyway, let's go into the hoodwood hot five. The rankings remain unchanged. Clemson, Michigan, Ohio State, Alabama, and Georgia are from five to one, having beaten their thoroughly frightened opponents by each scoring 48 or more, with state scoring 77 against Toledo and Michigan scoring 59 against UConn. Wow. So there's no need to really detail the five to one. So. So instead, this week, the Hoodwood High Five is going to detail the five NBA teams that I think can give the Golden State Warriors the most trouble headed into the 22-23 season. At number five, we have the Minnesota Timberwolves. Now, this is a team that is starting to peak in its potential. And getting Rudy Gobert from the Jazz as a legit rim protector frees up Karl-Anthony Towns to concentrate more on scoring and rebounding. Losing Pat Bev hurts, that's given, but this team could be ready to move in to the elite in the West and challenge the Warriors for West dominance. At number four, we have the Phoenix Suns. Now the Robert Sarber drama notwithstanding, this still is a fairly elite team. Devin Booker, as, a, as an elite scorer, they could still challenge the Warriors for West dominance. But could this be the last hurrah for Chris Paul? He's running out of time to be the leader of an elite team. The Suns' playoff collapse last year might have left lasting scars, but they still are a tough out. At number three, you have the L.A. Lakers. Any team with LeBron James is going to be dangerous. Think of the line in winter. But given with Anthony Davis and Russell Westbrook coming back, this is also a tough squad to figure out. They are deep enough to legitimately challenge the Warriors for West dominance. If the roster did get shook up, but if they get cohesive, they could be dangerous. Number two, you have the Memphis Grizzlies. Now the Grizz play a grinding, get fun style, that is mesmerizing to watch. John Moran is a must-watch player. They gave the Dubs all they could handle in the West semis last year. And finally number one, believe it or not, L.A. Clippers. Yes, I know they didn't make the playoffs last year losing both chances they had the playoff qualifier, but given that they will have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George back at full strength, what makes anyone think that they can't jump into the elite? They dominate the Lakers in the Staples Center Series anyway, and at full strength, they will give the Dubs pause. Now you ask, KJ, these are all Western teams. Why not? Where are there no East teams? Now, the Celtics, Heat, Bucks, and Sixers, while legitimate, legit enough to get to the finals, would all lose, I think, if they faced the Dubs in the finals. The the Brooklyn Nets, <laughs> psh, please. They have enough headaches and problems of their own. I have no faith in them getting anywhere close to the Dubs for NBA dominance. Now that's, my high wa- that's my hoodwood high five. What do you think? Let's take a look at the fat dap and head slap of the week. Fat dap go to the WNBA's Las Vegas Aces and their rookie coach Becky Hammond. I think that Hammond could and should be an NBA coach. But all of that aside, Hammond went from little regard player to WNBA all-star, to NBA assistant coach, to finally getting a shot at coaching a team of her own. And she made the most of it in her first year making the Las Vegas Aces a WNBA powerhouse, storming through the playoffs and clinching the franchise's first WNBA title in Las Vegas, being a solid Connecticut uh, Sun squad in five games. Now, Hammond could have a potential dynasty on her hands with a loaded Aces squad that features MVP Agile Wilson. Congratulations to Hammond and the Aces who hit the jackpot in winning the WNBA title. Now, the head slap of the week, as much as it pains me to hand this out, I have to, it goes to Herm Edwards, the former head coach at Arizona State. I say former because he was given the gate earlier this week after a more or less forgettable five-year tenure. Now the Sun Devils went a yawn-inducing 26-20 with just one bowl win, and after starting this season, one and two with a puzzling 30-21 loss to Eastern. Michigan at home. Now the Sun Devils aren't just plagued by mediocre play. They're also in under investigation for various recruiting violations and Edwards' laissez-faire management may have led to rule breaking and potential trouble for the Pac-12 team. Now when you allow a Mac team, a Mac running back, who has never rushed for over 90 yards in his career to bust out for 258 yards and get dominated in time of possession and yardage, that speaks to a much, much larger problem. Now Edwards came to Tempe with big, big talk of making the Sun Devils run more or less like a pro team, but he got run out of town because of mediocrity. And now without much further ado, let's go to the final word from the wood. Now I'll be honest, I didn't see much of it, but Parts I did see, the Eurobasket tournament was bananas. Now, with players like Giannis Antetokounmpo leading the Greek squad, Luka Doncic leading the Slovenia squad, France loaded with players like Joel Embiid and Rudy Gobert, the tourney had the feel of NCAAs, but with national pride and pro flavor, Spain took the title with a thrilling win over France. Now that said, all eyes are now looking toward the 2023 FIBA tournament and the 2024 Olympics in Paris, where the American squad, still the top dog in the world, will be waiting. But could this be the weakest that the American squad has been since 2004? Now you remember that disjointed squad got housed in its first game against the Puerto Rican team. Then they struggled to beat Greece and Australia before getting beat on like a drum by Lithuania. They got into the medal round with an easy win over Angola and outgunned Spain in the quarterfinals before getting throttled by Argentina, led by Manu Ginobili, and settling for a consolation revenge win over Lithuania to win the bronze. Now that team, led by Larry Brown, just seemed never to get on track. They were extremely vulnerable to outside shooting and just seemed off. Now, in comparison, the 2024 team could have the same type of problems. Thankfully, Larry Brown is nowhere near the coaching ranks for this team, with the redoubtable Steve Kerr at the helm taking over from legendary Greg Popovich, who won the uh, gold medal for the uh, U.S. team in the 2021 games in Tokyo, but many team, many people forget that the U.S. struggled at first. Like in 2004, this team lacked cohesiveness, and they struggled with outside shooters. They took a stunning loss to Nigeria in the first ever time an African team had defeated a U.S. squad. Then they lost to Australia two days later. People were starting to talk. Would the Americans recover? They did, and they did make it to the medal knockout round, despite getting beat by a good French team in the first game of pool play. Now, the Americans beat the, beats the Spanish team in the quarters, Australia in the semis, and France in, in the final to get a measure of revenge on the teams that had beaten them. But, unlike previous Olympiads, this team does not carry the type of fear that previous teams had engendered. They aren't the dream team of 1992 or even the redeemed team of 2008. They are a good team with legit, if not aging, all-stars. LeBron, if he plays, would be pushing 40. And players like Kevin Durant and Steph Curry would be fairly aged as well. And who knows if the mercurial Kyrie Irving would even suit up for the U.S. team. Now, this U.S. team had best take care because there are a number of international teams that are gunning for them and would like nothing more than to take the King's crown on the biggest of stages. And that is the final word from Wood. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's about it. Hear the music coming up in the background. That means your time in the Hoodwood is just about done, and thank you so much for your visit this week. Now, if you do want to send me an email, please feel free. My email is KJB. Questions, comments, show topics, and criticism, I respond to everything the every the Show Show weekly on many of these better podcasting hosts, whether it's Spotify, iTunes, Google uh, Podcasts, you name it, I'm trying to get there. And if you don't have it, don't find any one of your more favorite podcasts, ask, you know, get, get on that uh, platform to serve you better. you can visit the show site, right now I'm it's Black Bandit Productions Enterprises on Facebook. To drop lines there at that catalog of the show. I'm also on Twitter, KJ Green20, and when you like I'm on back. I'm also on Instagram, on all sorts of various social medias as well. Thank you so much for your time out and watching this week. Until next time out in the Woodwood, fellow sports fans, I'm KJ Green. Dirty. Sports from the Hoodwood is a Black Bandit Productions and Enterprises presentation of a 551 Audio and Films Production.